the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Thinking about health care these days? Well, you're not alone. And it seems that getting real information about the state of our medical system is tough to come by. That's why you've come to the right place with Dr. Bill, your radio MD. He's got the answers because he's a doctor. I said he's a doctor, and he wants to hear from you right now. 877-969-8600. This is AM860, The Answer. And now, it's time for Dr. Bill, your radio MD. Good morning, everybody. This is Dr. Bill, your radio MD, coming at you on AM860, The Answer. And by the way, that is our website, am860theanswer.com. That's am860theanswer.com. And you can reach me anywhere in the world by just Googling there and clicking Listen Live. And you got me, 9 to 10 a.m. Eastern Standard Time every Sunday morning. I am your international Dr. Bill. And we're also an iHeart station, and this is interactive. And today we'll probably take a call or two after the break. We are at 877-969-8600, 877-969-8600. And speaking of good loving, that brings up today's topic. Um, back on genetics, guys, I saw a very interesting article about a team in Great Britain and England that had transplanted the mitochondria of an ovum, a human egg cell, out of that cell and put in the ovum, the mitochondria from the ovum of another woman because the mitochondria had some genetic diseases and the scientists were attempting to create for the mother and the, and the father, an ovum, an egg that would be viable, that would be healthy and would not have this genetic disease so they could have a baby of their own. When you say, what is a mitochondria, Dr. Bill? The mitochondria are small, almost cellular-like organisms that live inside of our cells. So our, our body's made up of a bunch of cells, skin cells, lung cells, heart cells, muscle cells. And almost all of these cells have mitochondria in them. Mitochondria have their own little cell membrane, and they function as an energy factory for the body. And I've talked about how we burn carbon fuel in the form of sugar. Well, this is where it happens. It happens within the mitochondria for the most part. The mitochondria also has some genetic material, and that's why we think of it as sort of a proto-molecule or a proto-cell within the cell. And this is a fascinating phenomena because the genetics of our mothers is passed down to us within the mitochondria. Yes, we have half of our genetic material in the in the nucleus of our cell from our mother and half from our father. But within the mitochondria, only maternal, only the mother's genetics are in there. Why? Well, the ovum or the egg 
is is a huge cell. It's a big cell. And you can think of it as, as a chicken egg. And a chicken egg, when it's unfertilized, is one cell. That is one cell. And that's huge because you can fit hundreds of cells on the head of a, of a pen of you and me, of our cells. The sperm, on the other hand, is a very small cell. It doesn't need to produce energy ongoing. It's uh, kind of like a ninja. It's a fast attack, torpedo, whatever you want to call it. And its lifespan is very short. Its object is to get to the ovum and fertilize it. Well, the ovum is really the, the whole factory. It just needs the other half of the genetic material from the sperm, and then the egg starts to divide. Well, what these scientists have done is they've taken the mitochondria out of the ovum, the egg of one woman, and they've put in the mitochondria from another woman so that this baby will have genetic material from mother, father, and from a foreign unknown being, another woman. So it will, in essence, have three parents. If you test the genetics of the cell, including that that is in the mitochondria, then you have three different beings that have added to this child's existence. This has also been done by a team of scientists in the United States. I believe they did the experiment in Mexico. What could be more exciting, though, than to talk about and toy with the stuff of life, our DNA, who we are? So you have a child now that has three parents. And, of course, this calls into play, do we have the the right to manipulate our existence in this way? And what if it's for the good, as in this family, where there was a genetic disease within the mitochondria that it was now cured by replacing one mitochondria with the healthy mitochondria from another woman? It's a, a deep topic and a lot to think about. So we have to ask ourselves, what is natural and what is unnatural? Is it unnatural to manipulate the egg of a woman to make it healthier in some way and in doing so alter the genetic material of that egg so that that child that is born is in a sense a hybrid? Well, if it's for the good, why not? And what is natural and unnatural? Well, we've been doing this for centuries anyway. I mean, you look at a, a mule, it's a cross between a donkey and a horse. It's sterile, so it can't pass its genes, good or bad, on to anybody else. In this situation, though, this child, if it's a female, will be able to pass those maternal genes from another woman to her offspring. And that's pretty pretty awesome and frightening and exciting. Even more groundbreaking, though, is there 
was a discovery within the past few years of a gene editing tool known as CRISP. The CRISP phenomena has made it possible for scientists to go in and cut out itty-bitty single gene areas of the genetic material in a cell and replace it with other material. It's kind of interesting how we came about and discovered this. There's been a big war for eons between bacteria and viruses. Viruses are extremely small. Most scientists don't consider them real living organisms, sort of proto-organisms, because they have to have a host cell to carry on their reproduction in, whether it's a, a bacteria or the skin of our throat, as we have with, with viruses like the rhino cold virus. And these bacteria and viruses have been fighting for eons, and the viruses will connect themselves, attach themselves to the cell wall of a bacteria, and then inject their genetic material into the cell of the bacteria and force the bacteria to reproduce more little viruses and thus propagating their own species and killing the bacteria. Well, the bacteria have developed a pretty cool defense. They have found a way to space out their genetic their genetic material and be able to isolate the viral genetic material and incorporate it in their genetic material so that they have a memory of what that viral material is and then they have a way to cut it out if it does attach itself to their material and to insert other things back into that space so it'd be like blank spaces in a document and then a string of words and then more blank spaces and all these are connected together in long strands and so the bacteria has been able to defeat at least certain viruses from destroying them killing them and decreasing the number of viruses that are produced you say how many viruses are there well, I had Maya Breitbart on the show a few years ago, and she is a Ph.D. in microbiology, and she has developed some exciting discoveries and materials in the world of viruses and bacteria and genetic engineering. And her work has led to new ways of exploring the estuaries and sampling the estuaries, the, the flow of contaminated water from our cities into our bays and our rivers and determine how much fecal or human waste material is in there and if there's anything harmful. And she said on the show that there are more viruses in the ocean than there are stars in the universe. That's <laughs> pretty awesome. That's a lot, a lot, a lot of viruses. So there's a big war going on, and because of this, scientists have been able to discover this CRISP phenomena, and it's an enzyme that can unzip the DNA, the DNA in our blood, in our cells. Uh, it looks like a, a ladder, a straight ladder, only you twist it. 
you give it a twist. So you've got the twisted ladder. It's a helix spirals up or down, depending on which way you're going on the ladder. And this helix has within it all of the information about the cell, about the organism, about defenses of the cell, such as the bacteria fighting the viruses. And so now we have a way to insert into this twisted ladder, this double helix, new genes and cut out bad genes and to put in spacers and blanks. So it can be used to edit any gene sequence, just like you would edit a letter or a document. You would erase a few words and put in some new words. And now with the, with the miracle of the computers, it's much, much easier to do. And this has given us a whole new way of dealing with our own genetic material. It used to take weeks to affect any kind of genetic change within our, our DNA, our genetic material, or to transfer some of our genetic material into another organism for production of insulin or for uh, study of genetic diseases. But now this can be done in a few hours and at a cost of 75 to to $100. And it can be done on anything as small as a worm all the way up to something as complex as you and me. And the potential for doing good is enormous. But, of course, the potential for doing bad is also there. The genetic diseases like sickle cell anemia or muscular dystrophy or cystic fibrosis or Huntington's disease, these could all be eliminated. We could figure out who has the genetics for these diseases and correct that. Genetic contributions to diseases like Alzheimer's could be controlled. Food crops could be engineered to produce high yields of less than ideal in less than ideal growing environments so that if you have poor soil, but there's enough in the soil to allow some growth by genetically engineering plants, we could make these plants utilize the resources in the soil more efficiently and could feed growing populations or could feed growing populations on other planets. We could engineer certain plants to grow fast so we could rapidly replace acreage that has been lost to, to uh, logging or to fires or to other natural disasters and produce more oxygen and take more carbon dioxide out of the atmosphere through plant photosynthesis. That's a great thing. We've already done it. We have already done this in some plants. We have created a rice, yeah, rice that you eat, the white rice, that also makes vitamin A. You say, well, why would you do that, Doc? Well, in a lot of the poor parts of the world where rice is the staple, there's a, a lack of vitamin A in the diet, and this has caused blindness in poor regions of the world. 
Now, with this new strain of rice, that will be eliminated because people will get the vitamin A as they eat the rice. Just as we get vitamin D from our milk, we've been putting vitamin D in our milk for decades, and this has eliminated diseases like rickets, which is a vitamin D deficiency in kids. And this has made our lives better and easier. So we've been manipulating Mother Nature for eons. The best example are dogs and cats. All the crossbreeds of domestic dogs and cats. My goodness, have we been manipulating. But there's unintended consequences, too. And ethical questions arrive, arise. Can we also do bad? Yeah, intentionally and unintentionally. We know that there are little protein sequences called prions, P-R-I-O-N-S, and that these can cause diseases like mad cow. And we could unintentionally or intentionally piggyback one of these little protein chains along with other genetic material that we put into people or plants or other animals. And we could cause an outbreak of mad cow disease where the brain deteriorates. We could even do this as a weapon. We could weaponize biotoxins or we could weaponize a virus that would insert a gene into the into the food staple like wheat or rice that would destroy it and make it inedible. We haven't seen this done yet, but certainly that potential exists. We can enhance the good and stop the bad. We also have recently discovered a way to control this CRISP gene, to turn it on and turn it off, this CRISP protein or enzyme that affects the genetic material in our bodies. Well, then the question comes up of what rights do embryos, do ova, what rights do they have? And there are those who would argue that until about 14 days in the life of an embryo, there's no neurologic system so there's no way for that organism to have any real sensation or to have any real ability to feel in a, in a, in a very primitive way, but, but a way. And then the ethics of, well, if it's not 14 days old and those, there's no neurologic system, is it necessary that there be consent by the ovum the embryo, or the mother, to allow these sorts of things to be done, these genetically engineered changes to the organism, can we allow that? Is that ethical or not? And after 14 days, when there is a sensation in this primitive organism, this human being that is at a very primitive level of development, and there's some sensation and feeling, then 
is it necessary to have informed consent? And of course, the the surrogate for that individual would be the mom, or in a laboratory, it would be the scientists who are maintaining it. Do we have to get permission to do something to that organism to genetically modify or engineer or take out a disease or put in a protein or a genetic material that would help it fight off diseases of different types later in life? And do we have a right to lead an existence that is quote-quote natural rather than unnatural or genetically engineered? And who's to say what is natural and what is unnatural? I've argued for decades now that human beings cannot do anything that's outside of nature. We're part of nature. And because we're part of nature, we cannot defy nature and be unnatural. We can alter, we can manipulate, we can interact with, which basically is what we're doing, nature, but we can't do anything that is quote-quote unnatural. And I always love to hear the arguments in the lunchroom about genetically engineered food and the the effects it may have on us. Well, almost everything we eat now has been genetically engineered to some to some degree in one way or another, either through crossbreeding in the era before all this fancy genetic engineering, or since then, the genetic engineering of plants and now animals to make healthier, better, more nutritious, safer foods for us. And it's reflected in our growth patterns, our state of health, the, the tremendous decrease in childhood deaths from diseases. And I always laugh when I think about people arguing that they don't want any unnatural man-made substances in their body. Really? Well, there's a lot of diabetics out there who would disagree with you until we learned how to genetically engineer insulin, have it made by bacteria by inserting our gene that encodes for the insulin molecule into the cells of bacteria so that they would make human insulin. We were using pork and cow insulin. And a lot of people were allergic to the pork or the cow insulin. Or they developed resistance because of the few minute changes and differences there are between pork and cow and human insulin. Is this a bad thing that we have genetically engineered a hormone that all of us have in our body and it is necessary for us to exist? Have we done something unnatural, immoral, against nature? Well, that's a very passive example because it has a limited lifespan and the, the insulin can't reproduce itself, so it's not something that's genetically passed on to our offspring. It's just a chemical, a hormone, that has a short-term specific use in our body. Well, we're stepping up the ladder, guys. We're stepping up the genetic ladder. 
and it's not going to stop. So we've got to stop and think about how we're going to handle this. There was a team in China recently that took several dozen ovum, human eggs, ova, I should say the positive, plural, and they inserted and took out different genes to try and alter the ovum's health and make it a healthier ovum. And I forget which gene they did it for. Uh, I think it was for a cystic fibrosis gene. And they had three of these ova that actually handled the transformation and cut out the bad gene and put in the good gene. Now, none of these ova were viable. That is, they could not reproduce because they fertilized them with the sperm, the genetic material from two different men, and that way it would it would not ex- become a, a viable organism. It wouldn't be able to be implanted in the womb of a woman and come to full development. And, of course, that raised a firestorm of controversy as to whether or not we have the right or the ethical right, should I say. Obviously, we have the right. I mean, rights are taken. They're not given. But the ethics of this have brought into play a huge controversy. And there has been a committee now formed by Great Britain, the United States, and China to sit down and discuss and hash out and come up with some ethical guidelines in this area of research. The researchers said, well, these were not viable ova. They couldn't reproduce and pass on their genetic material to their children. And that, in and of itself, they claim is the ethical check. It's the the block that will keep anything unethical from happening because for a geneticist, the manipulation of the gene is not as important ethically as whether or not that can be passed on to an offspring. So the implications are large. And with the CRISP and the anti-CRISP genes now, we have a security system. So with the anti-CRISP proteins, what the CRISP does can be turned on and off. By the way, we're talking about genetics if you're just joining the show. The ethics and morality and the new discoveries in genetics. And I mentioned a few minutes ago that a team in England and one in the United States have successfully transplanted the mitochondria, which is a little microcellular organism inside of most cells, from one woman into another woman because her mitochondria was defective. And then that was a healthy ovum with three parents once it was fertilized by the sperm. Father, mother, and mitochondrial mother. By the way, that can be passed on. It can be passed on to, if that's a female, onto, into that child's offspring, into that woman's offspring. 
So we've been looking at that this morning. The three-parent ovum. Now we manipulate other organisms, and we've been doing this for eons. We do it to meet our own needs and wants. And the question arises, what is natural and unnatural? And for me, it's a silly debate because, as I said earlier, we can't do anything that's outside of our nature. We are part of nature, and everything we do is part of nature. And the other question that we have raised is, at what point does the embryo, the, the small uh, human infant that's implanted in the woman's womb, at what point does this become a, a sentient organism or a feeling organism that would then have certain rights and certain rights to consent to alter its genetic material? Well, early on, the first few weeks, as I said earlier, there's no neurologic system. And if there's no neurologic system, then can we actually call that a feeling being, a sentient being at some level, that it has sensation? And you say, well, does a child in the womb have any sensation? Yeah, oh, yeah. Once it reaches a certain point of development, it absolutely does. Does it have any free will? Yes, it's primitive, but... It can choose to suck its thumb or not suck its thumb. It can kick. It can cry. It can laugh. It can grimace. And some of these are autonomic responses, and some are intentional. Sucking your thumb when you're an infant is a way of making yourself feel good. And that's what infants do. Now, the infant can't breathe because it's in a, a pool of, of fluid, water, and the oxygen and nutrients come from the mother through the placenta, so the lungs aren't at play, but it can still swallow and urinate and defecate, and it can choose how much it swallows and doesn't swallow. And so you've got an organism that has sensation and has what we would think of as a human existence, albeit at a very primitive level, but it's still a human existence. And so do we have the right to alter its genetic makeup, whether it's for good or bad? And who gives consent? Well, classically, traditionally, in our existence, it's been the parents, and more specifically, the mother. And so the ethics come into play at what point? Is it at 14 days? Well, does every embryo develop a neurologic system at two weeks into its existence? Probably not. There's probably a plus or minus. So how do you account for that in different individuals, different embryos? may not be able to, so then we may have to go back to stage zero, to the first day, and say, at that point, it has the potential, we're not sure exactly when it will happen, but it has the potential for feeling, for some kind of conscious decision-making, whether or not to suck its thumb, and that 
we have to protect that. And consent has to be given. Well, if you know that a vaccine is going to keep your kid from getting polio, and I mean, you know this because you've read the literature and you've seen everybody in the society do it, and all the kids that got the polio vaccine did not get the polio virus and they're not crippled, then you're going to say, well, I want my kid to have polio vaccine. Well, if you know that your kid has cystic fibrosis before it's born, at some very early stage in its development as a as an ovum or a zygote or a gamete or an embryo or a fetus or whatever stage that's discovered in, and there's a way to cure that so that the kid does not have cystic fibrosis, as the responsible parent that gives consent, what are you going to do? <laughs> yeah, right, you're going to try and have that kid not have cystic fibrosis. I mean, that's your baby. These are our babies that we're talking about. And we are going to do, most of us, what is in the best interest of our children, our offspring, realizing that this is going to cascade down to future generations and that we're going to affect the whole course of human existence as long as, as we're in existence, that is. Well, as it gets more and more prolific in science and in society, and we start manipulating other genetic systems, where does it end? Well, what about a designer baby? What if you want your kid to be smarter? And we know that if we insert gene X and Y into you or into that infant, into its genetic material, it's going to be smarter than it would have been otherwise. Do we do that? What if we have a gene that we can insert where you won't have to give a kid an immunization for polio? That that infant will automatically have resistance to the polio virus. So then you don't have the risk of giving a vaccination that could cause a, a reaction True, very, 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 very small risk of having an allergic reaction. But you don't even need to give, give the shot. And at what point do we make it so that our offspring are so well genetically engineered that they have very little struggle physically, that they don't get diseases, that they don't know what it is to be sick, that they don't have that feeling of malaise when they get the flu and they're down for two or three days and their bones and joints ache. I'm sure there'll always be something that's going to cause humans distress, that there's always going to be some physical pain that we're going to fall down and scrape our elbows and feel that. But are we taking something away from human existence from the the experience of life by engineering beings that are so well protected that they don't have the same, how shall I say, the same life experiences that we do, whether it's good or bad. Well, wait a minute. 
Isn't that what our parents and grandparents did? I mean, you think of the devastation that smallpox caused prior to the 18th century. And then you think about the women bringing the smallpox, weakened smallpox virus back from the Middle East, the diplomats' wives, and giving it to all of their kids. And by the way, General Washington immunized his whole army against smallpox. So we were the first country on earth to have in place a definite system for mass immunization. And smallpox was a devastating disease. It killed a lot of people. But all of a sudden, in the late 18th century, William Jenner wrote his paper about the ability to prevent smallpox by using this vaccine. And that was the beginning of immunizations. And so now we don't die from smallpox. We manipulated our existence in a way that was beneficial. And smallpox in the United States is not known. And that is a tremendous advancement in science and in medicine and in human health. And if we can do this at a genetic level, is that such a bad thing? Well, when I come back, I'm going to ask you if you think that's a bad thing or a good thing. I'm Dr. Bill. I'll be right back. With SRN News, I'm Michael Harrington in Washington. Secretary of State Rex Tillerson says President Trump looks forward to meeting with China's leader. Tillerson is in Beijing today, meeting with leaders on the final day of a swing through Asia. The Secret Service has detained a man after he drove his car to a security checkpoint near the White House last night, and the vehicle was classified as suspicious. The car stopped about a quarter mile from the White House. The president is in Florida. Oil could be flowing as soon as tomorrow through the bitterly contested Dakota Access Pipeline. The U.S. Court of Appeals for the District of Columbia Circuit has denied a request from two Indian tribes for an emergency order to stop it. And Chuck Berry is credited with being rock and roll's founding guitar hero and storyteller. Berry, who defined the music's joy and rebellion in classics such as Johnny B. Good, passed away yesterday at his Missouri home. He was 90 years old. This is SRN News. Dr. Bill for Bay Area Medical, located at 6399 38th Avenue North in St. Pete, 727-384-6411, 727-384-6411. Full-service clinic with x-ray, heart imaging, ultrasound, stress testing, and minor surgery. We provide quality health care in a warm and friendly atmosphere. We are multilingual, well-trained, and certified. Most American insurance and new patients accepted. Bay Area Medical, home of can care, 727-384-6411, 727-384. Four six four one one. Dr. Bill for West Coast Radiology. Our good friends at West Coast Radiology offer convenient and comprehensive x-ray diagnostics, including open MRI, CT scan, CT PET, mammography, and ultrasound. With state-of-the-art equipment and four convenient locations, you're assured of friendly, comprehensive care. Most insurance is accepted and competitive self-pay rates, plus Saturday appointments. Call West Coast Radiology at 727-771-2799. That's 727-771-2795. 
If you have a damaged windshield, keep your family safe with a premium quality replacement and a lifetime warranty from Autoglass America. If you have comprehensive insurance, we'll buy back your old windshield for up to $100 cash on the spot. Come to you with free mobile service and install a new premium quality windshield all at no cost to you. Be safe. Call today for fast claims processing. Remember, we turn your broken glass into cold, hard cash. 813-96-GLASS. That's 813-96-GLASS. Autoglass America. How would you describe your health care? If you're like most Americans these days, the word affordable isn't top of mind. Well, here's some good news. There's actually a trusted health care option that is affordable. It's called MediShare. Unlike insurance, MediShare is Christian Healthcare Sharing, a community of more than 200,000 believers across America who share each other's medical expenses. It's about half the cost of insurance, and it's fully acceptable under the law. And here's the best part. Because MediShare is based on biblical principles, you never pay for things that go against your beliefs. MediShare is affordable health care for Christians. Learn how thousands of Christians can help you save on your health care. For your free information guide, call 844-41-BIBLE. Not available in Montana. MediShare, affordable biblical health care. Call 844-41-BIBLE. That's 844-41-BIBLE. Today, brilliant, sunshine, and pleasant for a high of 77. Tonight, clear, low 52. Monday, pleasant with plenty of sunshine, high 74. Clear Monday night, low 54. Tuesday, beautiful with plenty of sunshine, high 77. And Wednesday, pleasant once again with plenty of sun, high 79. That's your AccuWeather forecast. I'm Chris Morelli for AM860, The Answer. That's evolving and revolving at 900 miles an hour. That's orbiting at 19 miles a second. So it's reckoned a sun that is the source of all our power. The sun and you and me and all the stars that we can see are moving at a million miles a day. In an outer spiral arm at 40,000 miles an hour of the galaxy we call the Milky Way. And I'm back. This is Dr. Bill, and that was Monty Python's song from The Meaning of Life. Really cute scenario where one of the troop members has signed his uh, driver's license card so that he's an organ donor, and the organ donor technicians come in, and they need a liver, and he says, but I'm still alive. And they said, well, it doesn't matter. You've signed your card, and so they take his liver out right there in the living room, and of course he dies, and the wife's in the kitchen, and she's all upset and crying. And one of the technicians opens the refrigerator door, and it leads into the universe, and he starts singing about how huge the universe is and how insignificant we are as beings, how small a piece of the universe that we are. Of course, we tend to think that we're fairly important, and I have been talking about genetic manipulation and genetic engineering this morning, about the crisp enzyme which was recently discovered and this allows the scientists the geneticists to insert genetic material fairly easily into chromosomes of all kinds of organisms and with this field of genetic engineering transgenetics we call it this allows development of organisms that express a trait that's not found in their species for instance protein-rich potatoes 
rice that has vitamin A, I talked about it earlier in it, to prevent blindness in poor areas of the world that eat rice as their staple. And it's also been used, transgenics, to save the American chestnut tree or something close to it. The chestnut trees were devastated by the chestnut tree blight in the early 20th century. It was a fungus that killed off almost all the chestnut trees. And there is an effort now to repopulate the United States with chestnut trees that are hybrids of American and Chinese chestnut trees. And this makes it a positive and fascinating and wonderful thing if you think that chestnut trees being repopulated in the United States is important. Well, if you like chestnuts roasting on an open fire and you want them domestically, as Donald Trump does, then you're going to be for growing chestnut trees back here in the United States. And there's also plant-animal interactions. We now can insert a gene into a tobacco plant in order to develop a vaccine, an antibody against the non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. Lymphomas are blood tumors, cancers, that involve a subset of the white blood cells. And we've also developed a flu vaccine using human DNA in tobacco plants. We can make edible vaccines by incorporating a, a human protein into bananas or potatoes or tomatoes. Researchers have been able to create edible plants that have vaccines for hepatitis B or against hepatitis B, cholera, rotavirus. And rotavirus is one of the, one of the viruses that causes a GI bug, a stomach and intestinal bug that makes us have copious diarrhea, and it's not a big deal in adults, but in small children, especially in compromised kids like we see in, in the Horn of Africa and Somalia, it is a lethal disease. And now, with just eating a banana or a potato or a tomato, immunization against this virus that kills little kids can be imparted to those kids through genetic engineering. There's a new phenomenon now where a group of scientists are transplanting the, the gene that encodes for the lightning bug's little light that it can light up, it's a little organic light system, can be injected into plants and plants can be grown that can produce their own light. And so this light, this illumination, can be used in our homes as a lighting source, and then we don't have to use energy. We don't have to burn coal or gas or have a nuclear plant that we can light our homes using hybrid plants that have animal material in them that glow. We could have trees that light our streets so we don't have to have street lights. There's also now a hybrid goat, yes, a goat, that has had 
the gene for silk, a specific type of silk made by an insect, a spider, or a silkworm. And when these goats produce milk, the milk has that protein that is the silk in it. And that can be extracted, and this can be woven into super strong material that can be used in place of a number of things, including steel, believe it or not. And these are good things, I think. And I don't think that we're doing anything that's outside of nature, but there's always risks that come with any new technology. We know that. There are risks that comes with nuclear plants. There are risks that come with burning coal. So the discovery of fire in itself, or the ability to make a fire in and of itself, was an unnatural phenomena hundreds of thousands of years ago. And it had unintended consequences. If you lived in a cave and you had a fire, carbon monoxide levels were higher. That would interfere with brain function. And, of course, there's the soot and the, the particles that are given off by burning carbon products, coal, oil, gas, wood, paper, whatever, and that these are chemicals that can irritate the lungs and cause lung cancer, emphysema. But no one would stop and say that the discovery of fire was an unnatural phenomena and that we shouldn't have done it. And we've even learned how to genetically manipulate stem cells. Stem cells are primitive cells within our bodies that have the potential to be turned into more specific cells like a skin cell or a blood cell or a bone cell. They have pluripotential abilities. And those abilities make it ideal to use to grow skin artificially, if you will. I mean, there's nothing artificial, but the genetic manipulation of these stem cells includes the growth of tissue on a scaffolding or a 3D printer, which can be used as temporary skin. So if you've had a big burn or if you've had a large skin cancer taken off, rather than trying to harvest skin from your thigh and graft it onto your arm or your your head or face or whatever, we can grow skin by manipulating stem cells, your own stem cells. We all have stem cells. And we can do it on some kind of a scaffolding that has nutrients in it. And we can transplant this out of the laboratory onto you so that you heal quicker. You get skin over that that area that's been damaged, and it decreases bleeding, it decreases the infection rate, it increases the speed of recovery. It's aesthetically more pleasing. So these are good things. Now the genetics and the manipulation of the genetics is an inevitability, just as the use of fire as a widespread tool was an inevitability once it was discovered how to make a fire and keep a fire going. 
And there's an exciting range of possibilities from feeding the hungry to preventing diseases to manipulating our own genetic makeup so that we're, we're healthier, we're stronger, we're smarter. But it also has perils. There were two scientists who applied in the late 1990s for a patent for a human-monkey hybrid. Now, they had not really made this, and they had no intentions of making it, but they wanted to see what the courts would do, the court test. And the courts looked at this and said that you can't have that patent. Why not? Because it violates the 13th Amendment. What's the 13th Amendment? The 13th Amendment outlaws slavery and indentured servitude. And in their proposal, they had said that they would use this hybrid creature in the lab for testing only. And the court said, well, that's a form of slavery because if this has human as well as monkey material in it, then it's a human being. It's sentient, and you cannot enslave a human being for research. Now, they never had any intention of doing it, but they brought this forward so that the debate would would be brought up on this. So if we blend animal and human genes and we make chimeric entities possessing some degree of a human intelligence or self-awareness that was not seen in that, other, in that animal species otherwise, is this a human being and what rights does it have? And who's going to research and who's going to oversee all of this? Well, the federal government said it's not going to fund any research, but that doesn't mean that the private enterprise, the private industry can't do the research. What consequences is this going to have for us and for future generations? And who's going to have access to this? Will the rich get designer babies first? Because it'll probably be a, a for-profit enterprise if there are private industries that are working on this and doing this. What are the health risks? Can we transmit diseases as well as healthy things? Of course. Will it harm the environment? And who's going to limit the research? And who's going to decide what that research should be? Which direction should it go? I disagree with the federal government having the absolute power over this. But we do need some rules and regs. And if we create a new species, what are our responsibilities to that species? Is there distinction, hard distinctions between you and me and a monkey, a chimpanzee, or a great ape? Or is it a continuum? And then that brings in all the religious questions and all the biblical questions. It's going gonna, it's gonna to be interesting to see how this all plays out. And as we develop the technology and the science and the abilities, we're also going to have to develop the rules for use, just as we have rules for use of fire. And fire can be used as a bad thing. We know arson is a crime. We have extensive <coughs> and ongoing <coughs> oversight of the use of fire and the protection 
from, I'm losing my voice here, guys, the protection of ourselves and our our properties from fire. So we're dealing with fire, but we're dealing with it at a genetic level. I don't think that's a bad thing. I just think it's something that we have to be careful about as we walk down this path. I'm Dr. Bill, your Radio MD. Thanks for joining us. I'll see you next week. Well, good morning, St. Petersburg, Florida. Good morning, good morning. Jeffrey Burchard here at your service once again for the... Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.